morning everybody and welcome to Strategy Cafe. This is your festive edition, uh, our attempt at giving you a shot of Christmas leadership. So today is a little bit different. Uh, we are not interviewing anyone external. We decided what we would do is give you um, insights from the Alembic team and um, as you'll have seen from the um, the advertising for all of this, what we'd such to do is give you a top 12 leadership tips from our experience for this year. Uh, so hope you enjoy it. Um, let's introduce everybody from the team. David, you're here, say hi. Hi everybody, uh, my name's David. I'm dual role head of marketing stroke strategy facilitator at Alembic. Rosanna? Hi, I'm Rosanna, I'm a strategy facilitator. I think we were gonna say what our favorite thing about Christmas Oh yeah, is and mine is definitely pigs and blankets. <laughs> David, we need to hear yours. Oh, it's got to be turkey. Turkey. <laughs> Alice. Hi, I'm Alice. I'm a strategy facilitator, and my favourite thing about Christmas is being able to eat things for breakfast that you normally can't, like your log or chocolate or whatever you want. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, hello, I'm Ben. I am a recent psychology graduate and training strategy facilitator here at Alembic. And my favourite thing about Christmas is probably brandy. <laughs> Matt, I know you're on. So uh, you, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Matt. I'm one of the strategy facilitators at Alembic. And my favourite thing about Christmas is getting out of London. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my favourite thing about Christmas is Christmas Eve. I love it when everything has been sorted, done, and you can just sit down and the house is ready and there's nothing left to do. You've got about an hour or so left and it's just suddenly a bit peaceful. I like that bit. So there we go. Um, uh, so um, in putting all this together, uh, we just sat down and did a mind map of all of the things that have happened this year. And um, our head of marketing, David, thought it was a really good idea to sort of show you our, you know, the way we kind of construct our thoughts. So this is our mind mapping software. Um, and we just went round the loop of all of the things that happened over the, over the last 12 months, uh, from client events to Strategy Cafe, to our Leaders Forum, to the Meaningful Human Leadership Conference we had over the summer, and just thought back over the different presentations we've heard and the different experiences we've had with clients and picked out some highlights. So these are our top 12, they might not be your top 12, so be really interested to hear your thoughts uh, on all of these. Um, you'll see on your control panel, a little bit of the way down, there's a questions area. Uh, so um, feel free to throw in questions at any point. And as a festive edition, this is unusually informal. So we're quite happy to take all comments and questions, even if the questions are about uh, Christmas favorite things and not about top leadership tips. <laughs> so uh, fire them in and we'll do our best to pick them up and answer them as we go. Uh, what we've done for today is give you the top 12. So uh, we're going to get going in just a second. And the idea is we're going to run through a few and then just pause on a few to talk about them in a bit more depth. So go with us. And if we skated over something and you want a bit more detail, fire a question in and towards the top of the hour, we'll come back on that. Right. So at number 12, we have clear out ambiguity from structure and roles. This is um, my way of just kicking it off. Uh, I guess uh, picking up on experience from most clients this year, nearly every client that we've helped has not had at the start a crystal clarity on the organizational structure. 
And although that's not the be all and end all of delivering success in business, it's really important because without that clarity around what's the plan, what's the future, what's our vision, what is everybody's role, um, what, are, what am I here to do, what are you here to do, then people get confused. And as soon as it's confusion, people tread on each other's toes, they wonder about who's responsible, and you miss out on the accountability because it's lost. There should only be one accountability. So tip number 12 on the way down the countdown is clear out any ambiguity and you will find a massive reduction in stress and arguments as a consequence of getting that right. In number 11, we have listen first before speaking. So um, I was listening to an ILM webinar not that long ago, and this was just on listening. And it was just saying how awful we all are at listening. We might all think that we're good, um, but actually there's lots of things that we can work on. And that's a really important part of being a leader and part of a team um, and communication. So one of the points that they touched on was about um, how we listen in order to respond, not to take in the information. So um, sometimes we have this, we all have it, a little voice in the back of our mind um, that sort of is making judgments um, or assuming things um, when actually we just need to try and silence that voice and just really take in what that person is saying so that we can um, understand them properly and then if we do need to respond then we can do so in the right way. Um, we also um, learn through listening and not through speaking so um, it's important to remember that um, and also in our strategy cafe with Rebecca um, she also discussed the importance of the need to listen clearly enough um, also to ourselves and our sense of judgment and our gut too. Really cool. So here we go for the first sort of wider discussion. Um, uh, and if you've just joined us, this is Olympic Strategies top 12 leadership tips for 2019. David, do you want to kick off on empathy? This seems like a really weird point about leadership. So please well, explain. Yeah, I mean, perhaps perhaps weird is the right way to describe it. I mean, em empathy is not the same as sympathy. Um, empathy is the ability to recognize emotions in the person that you're communicating with and it's a really key skill if you're if you're hoping to do things like resolve conflict if there's some misalignment or misunderstanding that you've got with somebody the ability to recognize those emotions in that person really help you to get on to an even keel with them and the registration of those emotions in yourself is something that's very clear to the recipient as well. Um, we've just read a book on uh, how emotions are constructed by uh, Lisa Feldman, and she talks about the fact that if you can't, if you haven't actually experienced an emotion yourself, you can't recognise it in the person that you're speaking to, and so that's something that's absolutely critical if you're going to communicate. Um, logically with somebody um, and of course practicing empathy leads to, to much more productive and communicative teams which can be obviously beneficial in business and for leaders so I'm not sure if the team have got anything else to add to that well I think just like for me it's the word practice in there because actually and um, you come to work and what does it mean to be empathetic um, and it does take quite a lot of practice and so I guess a tip here is actually how are you practicing that with the people that you are most connected to, that you you have got that um, relationship with and you're 
you know, so going home and practicing the empathy at home is probably a good place to start so that when you turn up at work, you've got that somewhat learned behaviour, but you also have a bit more confidence in the, your ability to do that. Um, so I think the, the word I like here is about practicing that because it can be quite difficult to do sometimes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Something that we focus on quite a lot um, and we, we do, I think, pick that practice up. Um, ben, uh, you only just started with us, but one of your first experiences was walking through walking through the Forest of Dean. Mm. Tell, tell everyone a little bit about that. Uh, it was a great experience because you asked me about, you know, my experience of coming into contact with Alembic. And you also asked me some questions about like my emotional responses to that, which I found very interesting and it really links to the whole idea of how can you lead people if you don't understand how they feel and how they react to situations emotionally because a deeper understanding of them will help you lead them and you will all succeed as a result of you being able to lead them better yeah i think so it's a key it's a really key point it was kind of quite a it was a lovely day wasn't it we uh, we did a, quite a bit of walking and uh, a degree of mindful walking. Mm. Uh, the funniest bit was just before yours, where um, I led us down the wrong pathway. But we were doing walking and sensing, um, mm. and uh, I think Rosanna, that caused you uh, to experience um, uh, hot feet and a really cold rest. <laughs> yeah, by bringing the focus to how cold I actually was, I think, <laughs> and also missing the turning in the process. <laughs> We definitely all had empathy for you at that point. <laughs> it was really cold. <laughs> so um, for me, um, just going back to how this is a really important leadership practice, if you don't sit quietly with key people in the organisation and really tune into them, how can you possibly know what's going on for them? Uh, and it picks up some of the other points which are coming up, which we spend quite a lot of time not doing that. Uh, and so I think this is a really important point. Uh, so here we are at 10, back to the countdown. Don't forget to fire in your questions at any point. Um, let's see if I can make this. Oh, yeah, so leading on nicely. So uh, this one is about asking questions rather than telling people what to do, which is important in leadership because a lot of people aren't huge fans of being told exactly what to do. They like to feel they can have an input and suggest ideas without being shot down or immediately criticised. And it means that they can they feel more of a sense of ownership over projects and their results because they feel that they can contribute towards them as opposed to just this is someone else's project and I'm just a pawn in their game, which means that they can perform better within your team. Very good. Uh, and at number eight, we have the change success model. So I'm going to put this one up. It's uh, one of our favorites and it's been used again this year a lot. Um, this uh, model is developed by the Mindshot group that we are connected with by Chris Mason. I guess the key thing here is that there are three big segments. There's some detail around the outside, but there's three big segments. Uh, one is beliefs, one is readiness, and one is capability. And if you want to change, you have to score high on believing in the change, high on readiness for the change, and high on capability to deliver the change. Um, and the important factor is that the capability seems like the most important and it has the highest score, but really it's just a hygiene factor because either you'll get it or you'll deploy it or you'll find some way of doing it if you believe you should and you're ready for it. 
So really, uh, it's getting the belief right and the readiness right that makes a difference. And we have found that with all clients, if you start to score on this and then check in where you're at, generally you quickly find that you're in the wrong place and you can see what you need to do uh, to move forward. So just a super cool model, really. And number seven, we have happiness and purpose that drives performance. Over to you, Rosanna. Yeah, so this came out of a book club book, um, which was Ariana Huffington's Thrive. And she talks about um, how purpose in organisation, how having everybody connected to that purpose drives the growth of that business. Um, um, and that's linked to happiness. It's sort of slightly two different points here. Um, but the happiness points is about if you're happy at work, then that contentment drives people to be more connected to the purpose. Um, but it raises a question, how do you know when your team are happy and how do you know if they're connected to the purpose or not? And so it's sort of this nice word that's sort of been floating around, but actually, what does that mean? Um, and actually, I think it's really important. The tip here is about getting the feedback and so having data on the well-being of your team and your staff but actually also the feedback loop from people so that actually do you know what makes your team happy and that might be different for different people and so just going out and asking the question um, and there's a great tool the happiness index which is an indexing um, tool to actually go go and ask the question in a in a non invasive way but actually just starts thinking and collecting the data on it it then sort of helps you then it's actually a talent acquisition to really actually what sorts of people are you recruiting and are they going to be connected um, to your purpose in your business up for discussion team are you happy um, absolutely um, one of the, the overriding <laughs> things that I found um, in, in joining Alembic was um, part of the sort of onboarding process with the team was as much about um, going through the hiring process as it was actually starting with the company um, and it became very clear to me that there you needed to be the right person with the right characteristics and the right fit in order to be able to function with this team and that it was obvious in spades how that was emphasized by um, Nick, and, Nick and the guys um, on, on joining and the benefits are so numerous I can't even begin we could probably do a strategy cafe on that very cool I think going back to the feedback point I think that's really important um, and I think feedback um, may be something that happens every so often but actually it needs to be a constant loop in order for you to be able to check in with how people are doing and how they're feeling um, and just make sure that people feel trying to create that environment where people feel comfortable enough to be radically honest um, in sharing how they really feel so that you can make those changes in order to create environment that they're happy in. Yeah, and to your earlier point about assumption, don't assume that um, throwing in this new well-being program and doing yoga on Wednesdays is going to be right for everybody because yeah. it's not like that. And so everybody is slightly different and it's not a um, box ticking exercise. So I agree, mm -hmm. you have to go and just ask and be prepared that you might get quite different answers and mm -hmm. be ready to respond to that. But it is connected to the performance of the organisation because they're the people that are pushing through and working on the projects. Yeah. 
there's, there's an awful lot on this in the in the in the environment business environment at the moment in all the social channels of business etc and, uh, and and not just in business right but um and i'm really pleased to see it i i uh, as an oldster ish uh, I can remember a time when uh, you know mentioning the word happiness at work would have brought uh, quite a lot of scorn, uh, and it just wasn't the done thing really. Certainly in in Britain, maybe different in different cultures, but certainly here it was quite hard to use that word, except in the context of a customer being unhappy, at which point everyone used to jump you know really quickly. So we had this sort of organisational schizophrenia in the old days where it was really important to make clients happy, but happiness wasn't a thing internally. Mm. So this is great. I love it, um, and I feel like. Um, the two words happiness and purpose are really connected. Happiness isn't a sort of floaty word really, it's about how you're feeling, it's a sum up of your positive emotions for me and um, purpose is about a sense of meaning so um, if I am connected to what I'm doing and I feel it's meaningful, I feel it's the real me then that helps me with my sense of happiness so purpose and happiness I think are connected, do you guys get that? Yeah. I think yeah. it's like a loop there and it's yeah. not just work. So work is important, but you have to take into account the 360. So purpose is the whole of life, and it can be little things like enjoying doing this. You know, our purpose today is just to give some great tips for everybody and enjoy that. Uh, our purpose in life might be much bigger, much broader, and like both can happen at once, and they both add to our sense of well-being. I think. And to reflect on that, because um, you know, one of the things we had in our notes was about does an office pet um, make the team happier? <laughs> and I guess um, as a recent cat owner, actually just reflecting, has that made me happier at home? And I would probably say yes, but only on reflection, because you know, how much happiness does a crying cat before you feed it give you? I, d I, don't, I don't know, but I guess the point is about reflecting on what ha what your happiness levels are um, and thinking about what's triggered that, because it is probably, it could be something subtle and just noticing that is quite a cool thing to do. So um, I love the fact that we spend so much time on this slide. Um, I want to just finish it off by uh, kind of slightly knowing the point from a macro environment. There's an awful lot of study out there now that shows that um, exercises corporately around happiness uh, are helpful and they have quite a big impact on certain key drivers like churn, uh, loyalty, all that kind of stuff. But the organisations that are smashing it out of the park in terms of overall performance make the connection between happiness and purpose. So if they, what I mean by that is that if their team are connected with the purpose of the organisation and the environment is happy, that is shown in combination to be really powerful in all the studies so um, pay attention to this and uh, don't do it as a sort of corporate exercise you have to do this authentically which means listen to all the other tips um, okay some quick ones personal change success model back to Ben so this is a lot like the uh, change success model that you talked about earlier but it's you know adapted so it's more about the individual than on an organizational level so there's, you know, it's down from um, 10 to 9 subcategories and the percentages for the readiness, capability and belief uh, sections are also slightly different, but it's more to do with your own individual change. And it worked for Chris Mason, the guy from Mindshop who developed it, uh, who achieved, I think it was about 10 kilograms of weight loss about a year ago using this as a sort of beta test for his own model. And it can work for you too. We, we love this. Lots of clients have been picking up on this and the slight differences that Ben talked about are really powerful. Thank you, Ben. Um, at number five, we have uh, learning to change yourself. Um, oh, I think this is me. 
Um, so this beautiful pyramid uh, came from Dr. Hilary Lindsay, who was um, president of the Institute of Chartered Accountants and was on Strategy Cafe. You can listen to her. Came to our leader forum. Aren't we privileged? Um, I feel quite cool about all of that. And I uh, really love her, her pyramid of learning. So she started off this uh, looking at CPD, which is technical learning, and rapidly realized that the knowledge and skills pointy bit at the top of the pyramid was only one corner. And you needed to get both the behavior right and the attitude right. So briefly going to focus on that. Attitude is really around reflection, uh, positive attitude, curiosity and experimentation and self-belief, the bottom right-hand corner. And then about behavior, which is then engaging with the material exploring the material again that curiosity and then also connecting with others and learning from others and she found from her studies that those two bottom right bottom left hand corners of the triangle really ramped up the uptake of learning to change yourself and our clients really found that powerful especially the attitude bit so we love that okay we're going to pause and discuss high performing teams with alice yeah, so a really important part of being a high-performing team is being able to um, embrace conflict and be able to resolve it and move forward. Um, we've spoken quite a lot about conflict, um, both on our Yincast, um, and we've got some articles on it as well. Um, it's just important to note that conflict is normal, and you cannot avoid it, and you should not try to avoid it, because it it um, it will happen and it's just part of the cycle and we've been speaking in our Yincast about um, Tuckman's team psychology uh, model and this is the four stages that teams go through um, in order to become high performing um, and one of those stages is storming when these conflicts happen. Um, you can't go to high performing without going through storming um, so it's about high performing teams um, are able to have this conflict, um, but they can come out of the other side um, and come up with really useful solutions so that they're not having those same problems again. What does everyone else think? Well, obviously disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have it out. <laughs> I think you're right though, it's this iterative process, so this the term high-performing teams makes it sort of fixed in time and that's like something to aim for and then once you've got there it's like yay that's it, but I think what you're saying is actually it's constantly changing and so things in our environment come up that we have to then debate and that might mean that we disagree and so a, a high-performing team is about actually being able to go back there, have that difficult conversation, learn from it, move quickly mm. and go back into high performance. And so the concept of a high performing team is this, it's actually an iteration between being able to respond to whatever those challenges or things that you need to, or disagreements. <laughs> I think it also needs emotional intelligence and social intelligence to be fed in. So quite a lot of teams have a lot of conflict and actually just dealing with the that, that aspect is very hard for them. So it's it's kind of all very well to say you've got to go through conflict, but one of the things we've observed all of our clients do is when they tackle that and resolve it, they learn how to do it as well. So mm. by by facing into their conflicts and resolving them, they learn to face into their conflicts and resolve them, and that competency gets better. Mm. So by dealing with it, um, uh, they start off finding it very hard. Yes. But as they go through and do more and more of it, it becomes a lot easier. Um, I'd, I'd argue... Um, 
conflict is a is is, is a natural um, outcome of having a team with a lot of energy. If you've if you've got a, a bunch of folks who are all experts in their various fields and they're all trying to harmonise together in a in a sort of joint pursuit vision, then the natural outcome is that at some point you're going to get some misalignment or disagreement, and that's got to come out in some way, and it's usually you know raise temperatures. And so result, it's 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 the yin to the yang, I guess, isn't it, of uh, of, of of agreement. You know, when you get that beautiful moment when it when a team's in in perfect alignment and you're all just rocking it, this is just the opposite. And the ability to work through that is absolutely crucial. So if you've just joined us, uh, this is the Alembic Festive uh, Strategy Cafe. Uh, just counting down our top twelve top tips for leadership um, from 2019. Um, if you have just joined in, you'll be able to catch up with a recording of this on our social channels later. It will be on our podcast channel on SoundCloud and uh, on Apple, uh, and it'll be on uh, YouTube as well. And uh, we'll send around a link for all of that a little bit later so you can pick up on any ones that you haven't uh, heard so far. But thank you, so a couple of quick ones. Uh, so number three, being consistent and clear. Um, look at consistency first. This isn't, isn't just about sticking to the plan. Um, it's not about just executing strategy and tactic. This is about consistency in terms of behaviour and messaging. Um, there's an element of trust and loyalty that can, can uh, come out of being consistency in both of those aspects. And, and that's something that teams are going to look to if they're going to perform well. So it's a really small thing, but actually it can be easily be overlooked. And clarity is, is, is something that's something that comes across through in, in articulation, uh, verbal articulation particularly. Uh, continuity of style, therefore, is something that um, the team is going to look towards if they want to be um, if they want to harness uh, continuity, I guess. Um, and avoid any surprises that might crop up along the way. And num great number three, I think we can all do better on that. Um, number two. Oh, so this is, um, it comes from Blackboard's thinking, it's the idea around um, making mistakes really quickly, so rapid visible review of errors and corrections. So this has come from the, the world of Formula One and um, the idea behind this is that um, when Schumacher was at his peak, he would come back to his team and if he didn't win his race, or even when he won his race actually, um, if there was a slight error, he noticed something, it would be the whole team to come together and be and um, have that accountability about what was, why, why did this break? And there's a sense of um, we're all equal here because we're all part of the team and so we all have to recognise it, but having that real visibility on where the mistake lies learning from it quickly and getting over it um, and so it's about rapid but it's also about visible so that everybody can see um, and everybody can learn from that mistake so just doing it quickly and just get over it it hurts but move forward which brings us beautifully onto our top tip of the year um, we've got some great questions so folks uh, I know I haven't clicked on the slide yet your anticipation must be huge uh, what is the number <laughs> one tip but just as we get there, we've got some great questions. So just stay with us if you want to. There's some lovely questions coming. If you want to put some questions in, there's questions area. 
um, just fire those in and we'll happily answer them. We're going to stay online for 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, those of you need to go, then that's all cool. But we'll keep recording all of this so that you can pick up on the questions and answers afterwards. As we get rapidly towards our number one top tip of the year, which is this one. Emotion is self-constructed. Damn it. <laughs> so I'm going to throw this open to Rosanna and we're just going to chat about this a little bit. Um, this is picking up on the Lisa Feldman Barrett. Yeah. Book. So what on earth does that mean? I guess this is the theory that we we construct our own emotions and to, to give a really simple real life example that happened with at work this well last week um so i came into the office and um it was very quiet matt was on the call and i said um alice can i can we have a word outside and um well all sorts of thoughts and feelings must have been going through your mind um so we went outside in to gra grab a cup of tea and I told her that um, I, I'm recently engaged. Yay. And um, wow. so the, <laughs> the, the point, so very happy, but the, the point here is that I've, I, we've constructed an environment and Alice has constructed an emotion about coming outside with me and, well, what were your emotions when I asked you to come outside? <laughs> oh no, what have I done? What's going on? It was quite confusing because you sort of, you were smiling um, when you were like taking me out. So I was like, maybe this is okay. Um, but I was like, oh, the fact I'm being taken away from everybody else. I was like, what does this mean? And my mind is sort of racing a little bit. So an accumulation of other experiences in your life has made you come to, oh, I'm not sure this is out of the ordinary, is something wrong? And that, that you're constructing then a um, uncertainty or a fear or a, anxiety about that and so this picture on the slide is showing that as well and if you take something uh, to snapshot or take something out of the whole context you're just mm -hmm. seeing Serena's face just in pain or in agony but actually it's more about the, the photo of when she's winning is about actually the sort of sheer grit and determination in her face that's mm -hmm. actually a sense of achievement and power mm -hmm. and really positive so we are constructing emotions about things all the time, um, but it's all happening in our own mind. And so we have a choice. I mean, this kind of makes sense. It's kind of amazingly logical, but then when you dig in and look at the science behind it, it's really compelling. And I think the thing for all of us this year, because it really fits with our practice of strategy change and leadership, uh, which is why it's our number one. Um, and um, what the science shows us that is there's no uh, universal fingerprint of emotion, despite everyone for years telling us the opposite. Um, there's no single facial expression for emotion. It's very variable. And so from that great example, um, one person trying to tell another person some amazing news led to a roller coaster ride of feelings <laughs> and expressions. There were probably tears, there were probably smiles, there was probably fear, all in one small concoction of uh, news. Um, and we all do that all the time. So um, for me, the big thing here is, is um, well, I guess I'm going to say there are two big things. One is that my, my response to this social situation, I have constructed it. And so how I'm feeling about it and how I'm labeling that emotionally is down to me, whether I'm angry about this because of something I think you have done or I'm happy about this because of something that has happened. That is in my own construction. 
And in a way, I have to kind of own that. It's not what you've done. It's not about this. It's how I've constructed it. And it might not be what is going on at all. The other point from that is if that's what's going on for me, that's what's going on for everybody else. And as a leader, you need to know that and need to unpick it a little bit. So it comes back to one of the points you made on social media about this, which is, have you ever had a team member in the wrong place emotionally and found it difficult to cut through? Which I think fits back to a lot of the other points about communications. Um, strong emotions can be a really powerful lens that prevent people from getting to the underlying issue. And understanding that those strong emotions can then be, those strong feelings can then be constructed into a concept and you have to deal with that emotional concept first. And maybe one of the things you go back up the tips to empathy that perhaps, or clear and consistent talk perhaps, or um, you know the uh, rapid um, correction of errors perhaps, some of those earlier tips, but you have to stay with that person and understand the construct and then as a leader, help them reconstruct it to break that paradigm so that you can get to the issue. I think that's the, the key point here. Team, what are your thoughts? I feel like we want to just explain how that works in context of the slide that folks have got in front of them. Um, when you look at, uh, if you take Serena's um, facial expression in isolation and, and interpret what that means to you, it could be, without knowing it, Serena, on a, on a tennis court, could be anything it could be could be anything anywhere in the world it could be somebody suffering it could be a leap of joy any, any emotion you like could be put onto that picture and then when you see it in the right context you get the you get the fuller picture and the detail around it and you're able to frame it in a completely different way and that's applicable in so many different scenarios it's exactly that concept that uh, Nick's just been talking about Anyone else? I would just say that I feel like I, I have an example of this from somewhere I worked previously. So regarding like not really understanding where someone is emotionally, because uh, one, one place I worked, there was a guy there who his performance had been, you know, not that great recently. He was in a bit of a slump and he didn't seem that fussed about it. And the leadership was all like, well, why is this happening? Why is his performance dip? Yep. But then one day he came in and said, Hi everyone, uh, I'm currently going through the process of getting divorced. It's a very emotional and testing time. And because of that, the leadership was able to help him through that. And since I'm, I'm not there anymore, but I'm, have, I'm in touch with people who are there and they've said he's doing a lot better now that he's gone through the divorce and he has the emotional support of the leadership team, which has meant that his performance is better, which means the whole team is doing better as a result. I love it. So I think that's a really nice way to uh, to round this up, Ben. It's a good example. Um, in business context, when you're going through change, everybody is going to respond to that change differently, depending on what's going on for them right now. And you can get into this conceptual language from the leadership and from the team's perspective of barriers and blockers and change agents and all these kind of things. They're all concepts um, and they are more or less helpful. Um, and you can get into this idea of performance management, which is another concept, which is we need to drive through this change because these people are not responding positively to the change. That kind of uh, them and us attitude and then somehow you're going to force your way through that process. Actually, I think there's a huge amount to be gained in stopping 
recognizing that these concepts are constructed on both sides. So the people who want the change have got a construct, people who are finding it difficult have got a construct, and the leadership point is to unpick all of that. And you will find that you don't have to force anyone to do anything. And the truth of life is people make their own choices. And so getting to that choice is really important. And in order to do that, you have to understand how they're feeling, how they're constructing that as emotion, what that means for them. And that gives you an opportunity to unpick it and talk about it. And just talking it through is hugely helpful. So everyone in your leadership team should read that book and learn how to deal with constructing and deconstructing their emotional response to social construct. We've um, referenced quite a lot of books from our book club um, on here, so we'll be publishing um, just a list of all the books that we've read, just as a as a nice reading list. Still, Stocking all... <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yeah, we'll just publish a list of all the books that we've loved and read um, this year um, for you all. So there you go. There's our top twelve tips. There are tips. They may not be your tips, but the things that have worked for us this year and our practice of helping people improve their leadership. We've had some wonderful, awesome, amazing clients, and it's been just our pleasure this year to help them go further and do better uh, in their incredible businesses. And um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to stay on now. We've got some great questions. You're welcome to stay with us. Um, pile your questions in if you've got them. We'll probably stay on for another 10 minutes or so to start answering those. So I've got one here. Um, uh, so um, for Rosanna. Um, how can you get sceptical people on board with measuring happiness? Interesting. Um, I wonder what conversations have been had. I think it's, I think happiness, as Nick was saying, has had a bit of um, a fluffy reputation. Um, and I think it's about actually going and looking at the, looking at the data. And so there's some great tools that you can just go and um, start measuring it. But I think... You have to ask the question as to why um, first. So it's a bit you have to get everybody on board, and so just asking the question about why it's not important. There's so much research about linking happiness and connected to more well, connection to the purpose and how that impacts the bottom line financially. And so I think that's just a conversation that just needs to be drip fed. Yeah. I would say, but there's so much research that we can share with you um, about you know, actually connecting it to the performance of the organisation. Anyone else want to pick up on that point? I think as well, potentially, um, thinking about the bigger picture, um, when I've seen in previous experience, I've seen change happen and it was small changes in the, in the organisation, but it upset people a lot because they weren't informed of what was going on or why it was happening. So I think it's also important maybe for these people that aren't sure why this is happening. Maybe they, there needs to be a conversation around why this is important for the wider organisation and that may help them get on board with it if they can see the benefit of that to them. Yeah. goes back to um, consistency and clarity, doesn't it? Even in, 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 in what's perceived as turmoil, perhaps, if, if it's... Uh, wide-scale transformational change to have consistency and clarity of the leadership voice and leadership team yeah. is something for people to Yeah, get, it's get about them. belief. So in the change success model, we, we talk actually first about belief. So you have to believe in it. And so um, I would go to the change success model and go there first and see where the gaps are and then just ask questions around that. So what is it that specifically that they are sceptical about and just seek to understand first where they're coming from. 
Cool points, and they take us back to the next question. So another question's coming is, um, uh, where do people most commonly fall down and change success model? Um, and uh, so I'm going to kick off on that one. So my, my first response is that um, not enough people know about the change success model. It's really thoroughly researched. It's based on thousands of case studies. It's based on exceptional performance. It's really, really good. Um, so um, if you haven't seen it before, then just start using it and benchmarking all your projects and your chain program against it, and you'll find where you fall down. People fall down pretty much on everything. Um, and so I guess the function of the model is to pinpoint where that is. Um, and so it makes your action to get the project moving more granular. And it stops you from over-emphasizing something which is fine, actually. Um, so it's just very good at highlighting the weaknesses. Um, I'm going to say that the most important areas are around beliefs and readiness. Um, you know, understanding whether you have or you haven't got the capability is obviously really important, but you won't engage with learning how to do something if you haven't got the capability. You won't engage with learning how or hiring people or doing the M&A work to get the business combination there until you've got the beliefs and readiness right. So you've got to go to those roots. And um, people often fall down on change process and leadership leadership support on the readiness cycle. So not everyone being behind it through the hard times, which is leadership support. And how should we do this? Not enough attention on how. Uh, so it's really important to dig in that and get everyone brought into the how, because that causes lots of uh, tension. And then on the belief side, I'm gonna say not enough attention to um, the personal attitude. So all the key people involved need to believe in it, need to see themselves as wanting to do it. We have to talk that out. If you're not really seeing yourself as part of this project, you'll only give it half effort, and half effort is not enough. So and, those would be my tips. And also, you often find on the belief side that there's often quite um, quite some differences in the beliefs around it in, yeah. in the first place. And so you have to be doing this with a group of people so to, to do it with a few people you have to do it with everybody that's involved in that change process or whatever it is that you want to work on because actually going to those people and go well why don't you why don't you feel good about this what's your attitude and why is that negative and so often that uh, we see that it's actually quite differing attitudes in the first place and just working that's quite a good starting point it's a great it's a great tool and it takes us into the next question um uh, which is um <clears throat> about what steps can you take i mean i feel like this is a very good festive question what steps can you take given that christmas is coming up and we're all super stressed very tired crawling on our fingernails towards the break lots of parties um uh very late nights and then just a break and then of course everyone arrives and there's a lot of tension around the day so what steps can you take in the run-up towards your christmas period to make sure conflict remains productive in the family as well as the work team. This goes to empathy, doesn't it? I think this is, is if you can approach Christmas lunch with uh, an empathic, empathetic mindset, you stand a much better chance of recognising emotion and feelings in people before those tensions run, run high. I mean, it's such a fascinating time of year because it's so steeped in tradition and it's like, this is the way that we always do it. And so actually, I wonder how much of just having a routine and this is what we do on Christmas Day, like sets the 
sort of frame of mind. Um, um, but I'm just on a, a point, just um, if you're anticipating that, um, just create some space where you're on your own, uh, you know, and that's okay. I think there's a lot of pressure to see family and be constantly doing stuff. And um, actually just sort of, if you're anticipating the need for some space, mm. um, just, um, just sort of try and work that in. I'm going to reference the body uh, and come back to a sort of root practice of Alembic on this question, which is uh, to say that all of this feeling, this stress, is represented inside your body. It's it's in your physical self. And so um, whether it's over the Christmas period or whether it's in teams where there's conflict managing it, a great tip is to um, bring people together. But before you start addressing the conflict, do some work with everyone to relax. The physical relaxation whatever that whatever works it could be a walk it could be an environmental thing it could be some yoga some meditation it could be some breathing it could be something else you know but whatever works to help everyone physically relax will take all of the anticipation of the coming discussion down two or three notches which normally means that even though the feelings might run high they'll run a little bit lower than usual and they'll probably be tolerable um, and then if it's too much, I mean, on Christmas Day or in the conflict discussion at work, take a break. Take a break. Uh, don't stress over it. Just come back when you're feeling a little bit more. Yeah, and, and manage your feelings. Basically. I guess the question is, can it wait till January? And sort of just if you, you know, knowing that it's it is that time of year, um, is that something that can wait till January? When there's like a you psychologically see things in a new way. I hope you have all enjoyed and found value in our discussion. Uh, thank you, everybody, for staying on board. Uh, pass the hour to listen to our Q&A. Um, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the new year. If you're still on and you want to hear a little bit more, don't forget to sign up to uh, the wonderful Yin and Tonic, which is kind of a mishmash of relaxation, news, leadership articles, and other general stuff from Alembic, and uh, always a fun read. Sign up, and that'll just drop neatly into your inbox on a fairly regular basis with insights from us and our team. And um, Yincast, the team have been doing Yincast uh, all year this year. I'm super proud of it, and stoked that they're all doing it. Um, this is um, just our podcast. It's uh, from the Alembic team. It's on all our um, podcast channels. Uh, so just go to the website, you can sign up, and then whatever is your favorite mode of consumption, you can get it downloaded to your iPhone or your uh, Android phone or your tablet or whatever it is, and just listen to some great tips. If you love all that, share the love. Merry Christmas from everyone at the Alembic team, and we look forward to seeing you all in the new year. Play us out, Davo. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Strings of streetlights in the Silver bell, silver bell, it's Christmas time.